kids don't say that anymore have we ever cared what the kids say i care apparently because i ask about it a lot that's a good point you do you do ask about it a lot welcome to the duke and duchess podcast welcome bonus episode bonus edition bonus edition that's right what are we covering we are talking about dun 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 game of thrones season seven season seven episode five and what's it called East Watch. Bam. Oh my gosh, I got it all right. I got all the <laughs> answers here. Ask me anything. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> uh, uh, panic, panic. <laughs> I'm the Duchess. I'm the Duke. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to get into this episode. I have so many thoughts and feelings. We got a lot to talk about That this I've episode. been keeping to myself because I'm trying to save it for the podcast. Yeah, but befo- yep. Before we get into it, let's... Quickly talk about our spoiler policy because we don't. We want to let people know the particular brand of jackasses that we are, and we are book jackasses. We're going to spoil it all. (laughs) Yeah, there's there. The spoiler policy is we'll spoil anything that belongs to the Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones universe. It's all on the cards, all on the table. Everything's out there. Um, But again, as we've said in the other ones. The show's so far past the books at this point that there's really not a whole lot of danger there because there's not a whole lot we can spoil. True. Now, I would say, though, that if there are any leaked episodes... Yeah, good um, point. We don't, we don't really go into that. No, because I don't really want to... I don't really want to look at those ahead of time. No, I get so disappointed when I accidentally see something. Yeah, so no production spoilers, no leaked episodes. We won't get into any of that. People flying their goddamn drones over the cast as they're filming man well like you got a lot of time in your hands to be doing that right right goodness okay so what did you think of the episode overall so it wasn't as bombastic as last week i mean last Mm -hmm. week we were we were gripping hands we were it was very exciting um this week was more of a uh, a kind of setup episode, I think, for the things that are going to come next. Um, definitely some characters making some jackass decisions, in my opinion. And uh, a couple of moments that were a little frustrating, but purposely frustrating, I think. Um, Gilly, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> but uh, overall, a good episode still. Um, and I and I think it's setting up for some good things to come. So gotcha. that's how I feel. How many poisoned wedding chalices would you give it i i don't know i'm sorry out of out of a scale of what i one to ten i need more information sorry i'm not giving you enough information <laughs> see everybody's got their their rating scales how many dire wolves how many lemon cakes uh-huh. we got to come up with something original so i'm going poisoned wedding chalices poison okay 
Okay, I'll go with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I would. I how many? Know. How many dragonglass arrowheads would you give it? I would give it seven. seven if I had out of to 10? pick a number, I guess. I'm. I'm sorry. I think I'm bad at Likert scales. <laughs> um, all right, so I. I think I'm on board with you. I, I was going to say seven and a half out of ten, and I think having having read some stuff on the internet, I think we're probably a little more down on it than a lot of other folks are. No, I mean I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, um, agreed. I, I really did. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as exciting as last week. And no, and you can't have a massive dragon battle every episode. Well, you can't. <laughs> All right, so what what I like to do is I like to break things down kind of by geography. In this in this episode in particular, there's so many scenes and they jump around so much that I feel like if you go kind of beat by beat, scene by scene in the order, you, things sort of get lost. You know, and you're jumping you're jumping around. Yeah, so much. keep it simple, man. So I'm going to do it by geography, and where I want to start with is Winterfell. So I'll kind of quickly summarize what happened in Winterfell, and then we can kind of talk about it. And I've got some questions as well. Right. So, so starting off in Winterfell, Winterfell, uh, the first thing that we see, I might my order might be a little wrong here, but we see Santa trying to hold together the different lords of the north, and they're in the uh, the great hall. And she, they're kind of arguing, we need the king in the north. And then they're, you know, alleging that maybe she would be better than John. Arya is kind of watching this go on. Then Arya and Sansa have a little bit of a showdown in uh, Sansa's room. And Arya says, if you can't, you know, get them to work together, maybe just chop off their heads. What the hell does that mean? Uh, then after that, we have Bran warging into ravens and then going over the wall and seeing the army of the dead. And he sends ravens off to Old Town and Dragonstone that we know of. There could be more. And then last, we have the play, uh, the back and forth between Littlefinger and Arya, where we kind of get to see Littlefinger act like Littlefinger and plant some evidence for Arya to find. So that's kind of what happens in Winterfell. What would you think of it? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely some things um, that were frustrating about this. And we've talked about this in the past that we were afraid the writers were kind of setting up this conflict between the Starks. And it certainly looks as though it's heading that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope it's not going to end up being a big thing because that'll be frustrating to me. I mean, I think that, you know, Sansa had definitely started to grow on me and she has slipped down a few notches. You know, we see her really undermining John again you know, the line that stuck out to me is when the lords are, are you know, complaining about John. She mm-hmm. says, well, he's the king in the north and he's doing what he thinks is right. <laughs> you know? Good point. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she's definitely very, like, low-key undermining him. And we're reminded that Sansa's changed a lot, but not entirely from the the girl who, you know, likes to be the center of attention, wants to kind of be in power and, and likes the idea of that. So I don't I don't think that part of her character has changed. Yeah, and Arya kind of challenges her on that. Other questions here. So Bran sees the Army of the Dead marching on Eastwatch. I'm pretty sure we got that information back in like episode two. 
No. So I think what happened was the last time John saw the Night King, they were way up at Hardhome. Yeah. Okay. Now they John speculated that if they were going to come, they were going to come to East Watch. Mm, So that's what's been talked about. You know, they're you know, we saw this big fucking army, okay? They're obviously they're going to be coming. We don't know when. When they do, it'll probably be here. We need to start getting ready. We so what just, John has yeah. found out is that oh no, it's now. It's happening now. The thing you know, the thing that's interesting to me is that if the Army of the Dead could figure out the technology that the rest of Westeros is using to hop, skip, and jump all over every place, and without, oh right, the jetpacks. If they could discover those jetpacks, <laughs> man, this. This war would be over quick. You know, Caster Quest, they were saying how, yeah. how people were writing shadow facts. Yeah. And that made me laugh so hard. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, I just, I felt like the increased urgency, oh, no, like this is the most urgent thing going on. And then now all of a sudden this week, oh, no, but it's really even more urgent. I don't know. It just felt sort of manufactured. But, but No, that, I mean, to me, I think it's that. That they knew they were going to come, but they didn't know when, and now they know. That no, no, they're on the move. They're coming now. Um, It could have been months, but now it looks like it's going to be like weeks. Absolutely. All right, so then we have the whole situation with Littlefinger and Arya. So (sighs) Littlefinger... You know, Arya is suspicious of Littlefinger. Right. And she starts following him around, and then it looks like Littlefinger, you know, is is finally being Littlefinger instead of, you know, being... Instead of us being told that he's this master manipulator and never getting to see it, now we actually see him manipulating things. And he's anticipating her moves, and he's setting evidence there to try to drive a wedge between the sisters. What do you think about that? I mean, the only, the the positive thing that I'm holding on to is that he does not yet know that Arya has the faceless man powers. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me the last episode when he was watching her fight was, wow, it's a mistake to let him see, like he's going and seeing the strengths of each of the Starks. Yeah. He's seeing that Bran obviously um, has eyes knows no stuff he's not supposed to know yeah you know and now he's seeing that aria is a devastating fighter you know uh, right away i thought that's going to be trouble so at least he doesn't know all of her powers yet yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's funny because i people hate on Littlefinger. i've always kind of liked him like i kind of like a gray character mm. but now i'm like no thumbs down two thumbs down yeah i've just never i've never seen Littlefinger as gray yeah i mean i always saw him as pretty much like neutral like he's out for himself you know he's not malicious he's not going to go out of his way to harm someone for the joy of it or because he likes harming people Mm -hmm. but he is out for for himself only you know and um but at the same time he's also always professed wanting to help the starks kind of being team stark not team ned okay (laughs) but team catelyn and her kids so to then see him turn around and turn the Starks against each other. I'm, I, it's, I mean, that's kind of made me anti Littlefinger now. I never thought his professed love for Catelyn, I never thought of it as being all that legitimate. Really? I mean, I feel like he loved Catelyn back in the day, back before Brandon, you know, cut him up and sent him packing. But 
I never felt like I felt like in all those years that that went past that, or all those years when you know when Catalan was in Winterfell and he was in King's Landing, that you know he moved on and he did his own thing and he professed his love to Catelyn because it was convenient to do so. I never felt like like he still was harboring this flame for her, which you know maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's the difference between your your view of Littlefinger and my view of Littlefinger is that I I always felt like you know that was something that wasn't necessarily legit. Guess I'm just a romantic. You're just a romantic. You're a softy. I am. You're softy. So my question is, do you think it'll work? I think the Starks will triumph. I mean, we may get some some like bullshit bickering, but you know, it's an interesting conflict to set up actually because you have um, Arya and Sansa who are very different characters and Arya who is v- extremely reactionary and kind of goes with her gut instinct and always has to be in control of a situation. And you have Sansa who's almost the polar opposite. She's constantly frozen by indecision. And mm-hmm. she has spent most of her character journey kind of being like bounced from greater power to greater power. Like she hasn't, doesn't have a whole lot of agency. She hasn't made a whole lot of moves on her own. I mean, some, yeah. but for the most part, she's kind of like this person's rescued her, that person's captured her, this person's that, you know, she's been passed around. Yeah, not you know? not until now do you really see her, her with any real sense of agency. Yeah. Um, at all. And what I, see, the way I see Sansa is more that where I agree with you, you know, that she's very, opposite Arya in a lot of ways and I'm sure that's on purpose you know where Arya is very reactionary to things I I tend to think Sansa thinks a few levels deeper that she's seen so much more in her getting bounced around that you know she's willing to hear what somebody has to say take time to really digest it think about it see things at a deeper level you know and some of that are things I think she's picked up from Littlefinger either overtly through him teaching her or just through watching the way he does things. I mean, she's really been at the forefoot of some of the the most incredible, you know, deceptions and ruses. And I mean, you know, being pivotal in Joffrey's murder and the way she got whisked out of town by Littlefinger. And, and she's, you know, watching Littlefinger and the way he maneuvered in, in the area. She's really been, you know... At the plus, she was you know heavily, you know she was a big pawn in the whole situation around Ned, and I'm sure it took her a while to figure that out. But I feel like she sees that political game, you know, much more clearly than Arya does, and so I don't always take it as her being paralyzed by indecision. I see her just being slow to react because she can see more of the chessboard. Yeah, I mean. I just think you give Sansa more credit than I do. Um, you know, I, I I think she's grown in her abilities and her intelligence, mm. but she still does things like not tell John that she wrote to Littlefinger and asked him to <laughs> send troops. Yeah, and, I mean... Yeah, and that's where the... Sh- see, the way the show is treating Winterfell in general kind of pisses me off because it's it's just clear that they they're they just don't really have a good sense of who these characters are. Like you could come up with reasons to create conflict between Arya and Sansa, between Arya, uh, Sansa and John. 
they're already there. They're there in the characters, but they come up with these arbitrary bullshit things that I just, I don't understand. And like, I really want Sansa to come out as like a strong leader or like a, like a crafty manipulator, but I just haven't seen her actually do anything that's that smart. No, not yet. Not in the show. I mean, I think they're kind of building up like, oh, maybe that's what she's supposed to be and John should listen to her because she's smart, but she hasn't actually done anything smart yet so i'm with you i'm kind of waiting for that to happen it would be nice but hopefully this is a chance for them to show it off and i hope it's not like that that pedestal girl thing where it's like oh she's so fascinating but But the writers can't actually write a fascinating so they just make everyone say that she's fascinating without her doing anything interesting well let's 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 hope the next episode we get to see because here here's the thing about the Littlefinger ruse is to me it doesn't make sense. So it was clever that Littlefinger was able to recognize that Arya was you know was trying to follow her and to deliberately create a scenario where he could go in and kind of control the dynamic right. So that was very Littlefinger. That's that's groovy. I give him points for that. But he chose to put out there this scroll. And we haven't talked about what was on the scroll. But it was the scroll that Sansa was coerced into writing by the Lannisters after Robert Baratheon had died, but before they had beheaded Ned. So she was coerced into writing the scroll, sent it to Rob saying, hey, this is what's happened. You know, our father betrayed the rightful Lord Joffrey. Come bend the knee. All will be forgiven. And it put it put Sansa in a bad light. But there are two reasons why I think it's a stupid idea. One, because anybody with a brain in their head would recognize that that was coerced. And I can't believe that Arya who has experience with the Lannisters, not as much as Sansa does, wouldn't think, you know, that it was coerced. Would think that that's actually what Sansa would would say. Two, it bears no relevance to any of the stuff that's going on. This is the big one. No relevance to what's going on right now. It doesn't play into any of the stuff going on in the North it doesn't play into any of the stuff going on with the White Walkers, any of the stuff going on with John and Danny, none of it. So why would it be there? There's only one reason, and that's to drive a wedge between the two sisters. And to me, that just seems very obvious on the face of it. And I can't believe that Arya would go through, read that message, know that, you know, think that that was something that Littlefinger really wanted read it and say, wait a minute, this doesn't have anything to do with anything. Except that this is the same Arya who a scene before was proposing that they chop off the heads of several of the Lords of the North because they criticized John. I mean, no, no, good, good point. They're setting her up to be this Uber reactionary. I don't like them. Let's just kill them. You know, not ever think twice about anything sort of character. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, from a character development standpoint, you could look at it like this, though. Arya and Sansa haven't ever really processed their father's death. No. You know, Sansa hasn't really processed the fact that she's responsible for Ned being captured and ultimately killed. You know, who knows if that is going to come to light. Mm -hmm. Um, Arya hasn't really processed 
everything that happened since she left Winterfell. So maybe this is going to be an opportunity for them to kind of start to acknowledge these things. Well, And they never got along to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, it might even be a little more disingenuous if all of a sudden they were like... Super chummy. Super chummy besties. I mean, I'd like to think that they'll get to that, but not without having to... I mean, these are two people who have experienced years of extreme trauma. Absolutely. You know, who didn't get along in the first place and who are pretty much polar opposites, as we discussed. Yeah. You know, Uh, so I think some conflict was going to be inevitable. The other question I have about the whole Littlefinger thing is Littlefinger knows that Bran can clearly see, you know, he's freaking omnipotent practically in the show. Does he think that Bran won't be able to see what he's doing? I don't think that Littlefinger knows that Bran is omnipotent, and I don't even think that we know that. You know, in the book, his sight is limited, as we, we've we talked about, to things that have happened in front of a weirwood tree. Correct. Now, yeah. we don't know what limits he has in the show, because obviously he's seen things... That didn't happen that in front of a weirwood tree. That didn't happen in yeah. front of a weirwood tree. But that doesn't mean there aren't going to be limits. And for Littlefinger... Who knows what he thinks, Brand? Maybe he thinks Brand heard that from someone, or maybe he thinks he can read his mind. Or I don't. I don't yeah, think yeah. he's got a clear understanding. Of no, that's fair. What Brand can do. That's fair. Does Brand? I mean, hopefully, it, it would seem strange to me for Brand not to say, like, for Brand and Arya and, and Sansa not to have a little powwow at some point. The three of them be together and start to have a little conversation about Littlefinger. Like, seems strange to me that that wouldn't have happened. Except that Bran obviously is struggling with being a human being right now. <laughs> so That's one way to put it, yeah. Th- I mean, he's not reacting in a human way to True. situations. True. He's, he's obviously, whatever you want to... Whatever you want to say is going on. He's got too many tabs open in his brain or like (laughs) something. I mean. Nega brand. He's not. So to me, it doesn't seem unusual that he wouldn't be like, oh, this is a thing I need to tell you. Littlefinger scheming. And again, Bran is very focused on the Night King as the Night King and the Three-Eyed Raven are like. Ancient foes. Enemies. I mean. You know, he's the the Kenobi to his Vader, like. Yeah, they're, I'm sure he's thinking more big picture stuff. All right, so we need to get out of Winterfell because oh, yeah. this is area number one. Oh, gosh. Uh, and we've got, you know, four more to go, five more to go. All right, so so next we're talking about King's Landing. So so King's Landing, I'm basically talking about the stuff that happened between Jamie Braun and Cersei in this area. So we start out with Jamie and Braun finding out that they didn't drown. Uh, also Jamie upon leaving, uh, the Blackwater rush goes to Cersei and tries to talk some sense into her, says we can't, we can't, uh, beat Daenerys. Then Jamie has a meeting with Tyrion and then Jamie tells Cersei about the meeting with Tyrion, which Cersei then relates that she knew all about it, allowed it to happen because she's got some big master plan. Oh yeah. And by the way, she's pregnant. Uh. <laughs> Okay, so first off, we know she's not, right? I mean, this is... I don't think she is. This is our consensus, that she's not pregnant. She's making that up to reel Jamie back in. Yeah, the timing of it is highly suspicious, right? 
you know, it's a food baby, if nothing else. <laughs> it's a wine baby. It's a wine baby. That's <laughs> what it is. She's going to belch, and that wine baby's going to go away. <laughs> She's a little bloated. So, and we, for, for me, it seems very obvious that we were told, and what was it, season one, that Cersei went to see a, a fortune teller, Maggie, oh, the, Maggie Frog, the Frog, yeah. and was told that she would have three children um, and that they would all die. Yeah. So, so far that's happened. And then a younger, more beautiful queen was going to come along and replace her. Yeah. So I'll be pretty disappointed if that doesn't come true. Well, I don't want to rule out the idea that she could be pregnant. She could actually be pregnant. And if that's the case, then that pretty much puts a, uh, that puts the uh, freshness date on Cersei at about eight months from now. Right. <laughs> right. She, or so, something will happen. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think Cersei is going to have another child. No. Yeah, absolutely agree. There's no way she's going to have another child um, because of the prophecy. Now, I, I'm with you. I don't think she's pregnant. I don't think she's pregnant. I, I think the timing of it's too convenient. This is the time when she can feel Jamie slipping away. You know, it's it's becoming obvious that this is what's going on. And, you know, she's, you know, trying to seduce Jamie when Jamie's not particularly interested. This is part of a plan that she's cooked up to try to keep him relevant, and particularly in the last, I don't know if it was the last episode or the one before, I think it was episode three, where, you know, Jamie was like, what are we fighting for? It's just, there is no, there are no more Lannisters. It's just us. There is no more House Lannister. You know, he expressly stated that. So now she's giving him something right. to, to fight for, right? So... And then my question is, okay, so she's not pregnant, or we don't believe she is. She says, oh, I'm pregnant. And then in the next sentence, she's like, don't ever betray me again. <laughs> <laughs> and how how is Jamie supposed to react to that? Like, what is Jamie going to do? I show, <laughs> show Jamie, I have no idea. Book Jamie was would have been out of there. He was already long gone. He was gone already before, long gone. And he wouldn't have stuck around for all this bullshit. No chance of being that baby daddy. If he did show up, and if he does show up in the books in King's Landing, after Cersei manages to accomplish what he killed the Mad King to prevent, then Book that, Jamie would not have done that. Then he would have cho- he would choke her out right then. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's. There's no way all this shit would have gone on. It seems clear to me they don't know what to do with Jamie, so they just sort of make him like he's like the errand boy for the whole King's Landing thing. It's a, it's a shame, but I feel like the showrunners went that direction because the the brother sister romance got so much buzz. Mm, could be. I mean, I know that's kind of cynical of me, but that's what that's what I feel. That, so they're yeah. going to keep that going because that that aspect of the show got the most memes made out of it. That's a good point. All right, so here's my question to you. Does it make sense that Cersei has suddenly become Tywin Lannister? So are we going to talk about this? Yeah, we are going to talk about who is a secret Targaryen. Are we doing it? Let's do it. Uh, because we were talking about this the other day. Yeah. And there's speculation has always been speculation um that possibly one of the lannister children was a secret targaryen because in the books it is insinuated that the mad king at some point raped joanna joanna lannister Lannister, Mm -hmm. tywin's ex-wife yep 
So now it's been speculated that maybe it was Tyrion because he's always been fascinated with dragons because he went down into the pyramid at and saw the dragons and they didn't kill him, like that kind of stuff. Also that Tywin hated him. Yeah, and Tywin and, hated and his so this, guts. And he, he says in one of the episodes, you're not my son. Right. You know, so it's always been speculated that it was that it was Tyrion and for those reasons, and those are pretty good reasons. But as we discussed, there's a lot of good evidence for it being the twins. Right, because in, Cersei. in my opinion, Cersei is becoming more and more like the Mad King. Yeah, and the parallels are pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, the paranoia, the obsession with her family, the um, blowing up things with wildfire. Uh, fucking her brother. Fucking her brother, absolutely. Yeah, all of these things are, uh, you know, Mad King Targaryen traits. So there's some evidence that it could be those two. But back to my question... Does it make sense that Cersei Lannister is suddenly this political genius? Oh, oh okay. So that's what you're saying. I, yeah. I I, was attempting to answer your question by saying, no, I don't think she's like Tywin. I think she's like, she's like the Mad King. She's like the Mad King, yeah. Uh, to me, that makes sense in terms of character development. I mean, she's learned something. She, if nothing else, it's that she's, A, she's blown up most of her political rivals. So most of the people who were outsmarting her on every turn, she has managed to kill by basically sucker punching them and doing the things that nobody would expect anyone to do she, you know she's the textbook realpolitik that's for sure so yeah i mean i don't know how much i don't know if i'd call her a political genius but she's definitely made some good moves and i don't think it's completely out of character well and one of the things that one of the things that made tywin who he was uh, not that tywin wasn't also very very strategically brilliant but but that he was willing to do what other people weren't willing to do you know and that's what the reigns of castamere was all about right and you go all the way back to season one where you know you have ned sit her down and give her this nice little talk and this nice little warning and she's like oh hey let me just cut your head off yeah you know that's always been where where she's been willing to go so what do you think so do you think she actually knew about tywin I'm sorry, about Tyrion sneaking in? I do, but only because Kyburn now has charge of Varys' spy network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Kyburn... But did she? do you think she knew about it ahead of time, or was it one of those things where Kyburn was in the room and said, oh, we've just spotted Tyrion Lannister, and then Jamie walks in the room and she's like, I knew all about it. I, th- I think it's likely that Kyburn witnessed Tyrion approaching Bronn well, I'm sure that's not how... That, I, I, I highly doubt that's how that Why? happened. Well, because that that presumes that Tyrion would have been on King's Landing ahead of time. So how do you think Bronn knew to bring... I would assume that it was something Varys arranged because of Varys' little birds, which would... which If Varys was arranging it because he was somehow communicating with somebody, he still got his spies in place. A lot of those are probably also Kyburn spies. However, Kyburn got wind that Bronn was setting up this meeting Mm -hmm. and told Cersei about it. And Cersei said, go ahead and let him do it. Yeah, that could be. I, I give very little credence to Cersei's intelligence. So I think that Kyburn is very smart Oh, and yeah. I think that, I mean, yeah, I think that Cersei has one move and that's the sucker punch, you know, 
uh, but I think that Kyburn is he he knows what side of the bread his butter is on and he is very devoted to Cersei and I think that he is behind a lot of the 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 power move you know this more subtle maneuvering that's going on yeah that could be what what do you think her plan is oh I don't know I, I mean if it's to sucker punch Daenerys good luck because that's kind of Daenerys's move as well yeah <laughs> and we'll get we'll talk a little bit more about that later yeah 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 so I have a you know I've I've said that I've said in the past that I think Gregor Clegane could be the uh, sort of the twist Azor High. Yes, well, that too. Um, <laughs> no, that, um, well, he's Lightbringer. Gregor Clegane is clearly Lightbringer. He had to be sacrificed. Um, no, that, you know, the, the prediction with Maggie the Frog is that she'll be killed by the Valonqar, but the Valonqar simply means brother. It doesn't necessarily mean, it was thought that it meant little brother, but it's just brother. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's even her brother. So I've thought, wouldn't it be ironic if... It's not Jamie or Tyrion. It's Gregor Clegane that she runs around with and he thinks is keeping her safe. But um, it's completely just my like putting, it's like going to the track and putting $5 down on a long, on a long bet, you know, on a long odds bet. So, but I'm wondering if this, I don't know what the plan is, but I think the plan that she's got is going to be her ultimate demise. I think that whatever this plan is that she's put together might be the thing that finally gets her killed by Jamie. God, I hope so. And if Jamie managed to crawl his ass out of the Blackwater Rush wearing a suit of armor, which is completely ludicrous, at least it'll be to kill fucking Cersei. <laughs> like, Fingers crossed over here. I wonder if... Um, I wonder if... You know, because, again, her move is the sucker punch. It's the Red Wedding style, over-the-top sort of thing. They're proposing that they're going to have a meeting to bring a white to Cersei and have some sort of discussion. My speculation is she's going to have some sort of crazy move that's going to end up, you know, in a Red Wedding style way, attempting to kill everybody who's there. I think that's going to end up catching Tyrion, and Jamie will, coming to the defense of his brother, end up killing his sister. Unless Euron comes back with a dragon horn. Which would be cool, but there's no evidence for it. Like they haven't. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, they haven't dropped anything about that at all. So it would seem kind of out of the blue from a show perspective. Wouldn't be out of the blue to us because we know that exists in the universe. But, right. But to everybody else, I think it that would be. That would be like the Golden Eagles getting Frodo out of Mordor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, if we had these eagles the whole time. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> all right. Uh, so that's that's all I got for Cersei and Jamie. I'm tired of talking about Oh, them. yeah. Let's move on. Let's hope one of those, let's hope one of them dies soon. We. I don't feel bad about saying that because they're not real people. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's, let's go to Dragonstone. All right, so here's kind of what happens at Dragonstone is we see Daenerys at the Blackwater Rush right after the battle where she burns the Tarleys and and her and Tyrion have their little moment. And then after that, we see Jon and Drogon and they want to make out. They connect eyes. They look across the room at each other. Slow dancing, playing to the music. You know what I'm saying? 
I just know that every hair on my arm stood up (laughs) during that scene. I loved it. It was a good scene. I loved it. And I want Danny and John to make out on the back of a dragon. That'd be hot. Be very hot. I'd settle for like second base. I think the to me the best acting of the episode was John staring down that CGI oh my dragon. Gosh. It was amazing. Looking like he pissed his pants. Yeah. Like that yeah. that to me without a word being said was the best acting of the and whole. And the dragons are amazing. They're really good. They really are. Like a lot of people are upset about the direwolf budget being like not having to have the direwolves around yeah. because of the dragon budget. I I say it's worth it. Like if the dragons look cheesy, that yeah, it would tank everything, and they are like an integral part of the story. Yeah, I agree. So, and they look amazing. Yeah, the fact that we don't get as much direwolf doesn't bother me. I mean, uh, it's not to say that it doesn't bother me. It does. I'd I'd yeah, I'd love for the direwolves to be more present, but it's not the end of the world. Particularly if if my choice is have more direwolf but have cheesy looking dragons. Have the dragon from the original Hobbit. Right. You know, but more direwolves. Now I'll t- I'll take what we got. Like Pete's dragon. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> and um and you're right. The the dragons look amazing. So then Jorah shows up to Dragonfest. Uh <laughs> and then while they're all hanging out pow wowing and you know, and trying to figure out their love triangle, Tyrion and Barris are in the throne room trying to figure out whether or not Danny might be the Mad King. And then they get a raven from Bran. So after that, there's a big council meeting. John's like, I got to leave. This is crazy. I got to go. Uh, and then they have a big conversation about what to do about ice zombies. They come up with a plan. We'll talk about the plan. Then Davos and Tyrion go to King's Landing. Davos finds Gendry. And then they all come back safely. And Davos introduces John to Gendry. Now I'm going to... That's a lot of shit right there. Yeah. Now I'm going to separate that out from Eastwatch just because that's a different location and there's enough to talk about here. Yeah. So what did you think of that? You you got feelings. I I mean about... I have feelings about different things. About which part? Well, let's talk about Daenerys. Let's talk about what Daenerys does at the Blackwater Rush with the Tarleys. Okay, so here is my one of my main beefs with this episode. So Tyrion has no problem with her burning the masters in Marine. No problem with her burning up a bunch of slavers. Okay? Doesn't bat an eye. She burns two Tarleys, who she gave the chance. Like, she didn't give those slavers a chance. No. Mm-hmm. She was just like, hey, You're burn, evil. bitches. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead. Human candle. Tyrion's like, yeah. That's my queen. You know, she gives these guys the chance. She tries to talk them out of it. They're like, no, she's like, okay. All of a sudden now she's crazy. This is like just classic gaslighting. I'm sorry. <laughs> Great. Good. It is. Good. Well, it is. I mean, I do think there's a, I think there's a good discussion to be had around wh- where do you draw the line between what you have to do in a war and what, is just murder and immoral. I think it's a good discussion to have, and I think it's I think it's what they were trying to, how they were trying to frame this up was was that sort of way. But I'm with you on this one. What was she supposed to do? Right, and again, nobody. She, there was no problem with her doing this in Marine. You yeah. know, 
when the masters tried to stab her in the back. And here were two lords who just recently turned on their sworn liege. Yeah. And, you know, and, and murdered people that they had sworn to protect. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think, don't know. I'm, I, I mean, I think if you, bad about it. if you want to go the Geneva Convention route, you'd say, okay, you, you shackle them in chains and, and hold them prisoner. But, yeah, you know, I'm not quite sure where you, you draw the line there. I mean, I tend to think if I'm Daenerys uh, and I'm in the middle of the end of a battle, I've burned every viable cage in the area, and I've got these two lords who are not willing to bend the knee, then I'm probably going to make an example of them right there on the spot, too. Absolutely. And, and like I'm she said, she's not, she's not here to put people in chains. You know, yeah, and maybe from a practical standpoint, but also from a metaphorical standpoint. Well, you know? also that's, I mean, to be com- incredibly cold, th- that's a hassle. Absolutely. You know, uh, that's a logistical problem. Right, and if she does that for them, like she says in the episode, too many people will take that option. Correct. So, you know, she chains up Lord Lord Tarly. All of a sudden, all the other Lannisters are going to be like, "Oh, hey, there's a there's a curtain number three. I'll take that, yeah. So I don't have to commit myself, yeah. And you know, can get my nice cushy three hots and a cot, and I'll just sit out, sit out the battle. Yeah. As, when know. when winter is coming, and by the way, there's not enough food to feed everybody. Exactly. I think that's an aspect of this that I'm kind of pissed off is getting is not getting enough airtime. Oh, the fact that she burned up all the food? No, 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 no. No, Because what the hell was that? Well, okay. So a completely valid point for the people who are like, why did she destroy all the food? Completely valid. Here's the reason why she destroyed all the food. Because it made for some really cool pyrotechnics and Benioff and Weiss don't really care about what's logical. They They don't care about feeding the peasants. They care about shit blowing up and looking spectacular (laughs) on screen. You know, Daenerys Targaryen did not make a strategic decision to burn the loot train. That's just what they did because they thought it looked cool and they didn't they don't want people looking that deeply into it. You know, she didn't make a decision to try to destroy all the food, you know, but but no, the the angle for me that winter is coming and nobody north of the reach has enough food. Nobody or or um, north of High Garden. There's nobody north of High Garden that has enough food. Every motherfucker from the Riverlands north who isn't a lord is going to starve to death unless by destroying the Night King they write the seasons. You think if they destroy the Night King they'll write the seasons? I think yeah. Wow, I never thought of that before. I think that's what's the source of the wacky seasonality that, that's going Whoa. on in the continent. You just blew my mind. Yeah. So I think that's the only that's the only way any of those people survive is if, you know, winter is only a year long. Right. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, 40 years long, like the long night. I mean... If it's more than a year or two long, 
every motherfucker from the Riverlands North is going to starve to death. Which is why it still bothers me that she burned all that food. Yeah. Because it's probably the last harvest they're going to have. Oh, it's absolutely the last harvest they're going to have. <sighs> okay, we have to move on from that. <laughs> all right, let me see if I have any other questions about that section here. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. All right, so the plan. We ha- we got to talk about the plan. Is Okay, are we in agreement... <sighs> That this is the stupidest plan we've ever heard of. It's absolutely stupid. It's going to probably play out gloriously on television, but it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I know we've got enough firepower to destroy King's Landing in a day and then to immediately turn and put all of our forces to the north where we might have a chance of eliminating this existential threat. But... Because, but we don't want to do that. No, let's instead, let's, one, have faith that Cersei Lannister, who has already proven that she's willing to kill as many people as necessary just to take out a couple of Tyrells, let's trust that she's going to be logical and respectful and then try and put this overly complicated fucking plan in place that heaps risk upon risk upon risk. It, it it like it just doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Yeah, and like you said a few minutes before we started recording, where's their cage? What what <laughs> what what is their well, logistical plan? I mean, what yeah. are they planning to do? Do they have a leash at least? <laughs> maybe maybe Thoros Amir has one in his pocket that I we mean, don't know. <sighs> Is Dormund just going to sling one over his shoulder? Like, what? Like a sack of potatoes. Fucking run for it. This one time, I was nannying for a family, and uh, they had this little Jack Russell Terrier. And <laughs> it, we were at the, I was at a park, you know? And this, this dog, like, slipped its leash and, like, just shot. I mean, Jack Russells are fast. It, like, shot away from me and, like, jumped on the back of this goose. And then it was like, Holy crap! It didn't know what to do because it like actually <laughs> I got, fucking caught a goose. It was just like holding on for dear life. The goose is. I just feel like that's gonna be what <laughs> John's gonna be like if he like a Jack Russell on a goose. Like a Jack Russell <laughs> on a goose. <laughs> He's gonna be looking back at Torma going like, what, now what? What the, what what the fuck do we do, do now? <laughs> I got one. <laughs> Who brought the sack? <laughs> I thought you brought the cage. <laughs> Yeah, so in summation, it's a jackass plan. I mean, I was putting the white part. I was going to talk about that more in the next section, but setting that part of it aside, which is, by the way, that's like example number one of why it's a stupid plan. Your plan is to catch a white from north of the wall and bring it to King's Landing. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Come here, boy. Come on. (laughs) You gonna? What are you gonna? You gonna put out a trail of like? recently dead mice <laughs> like away from the formation yeah. just hoping one of them is like is that a recently dead mouse i must animate it. oh is that a recently dead mouse I'm, is that a recent like he trails off from the rest of the formation it could work you know what it and then you've work. got you got torment there in blue makeup and torn clothes being like oh, i'm just a white too ignore me and he conks him over the head and the white turns and looks at him. He's like, I'm fucking undead. That's not going to work. You know what? They need you north of the wall. Clear. <laughs> I don't want to be north of the wall. <laughs> um, 
But the rest of the plan, the idea, like, do you really think, like, if you could find some way to bring incontrovertible proof to Cersei Lannister that there is a million-man army of the dead marching down from the north, you think she's going to put all of her bullshit aside? Nope. Not one fucking bit. Nope. I mean, even if she did freak out and think, oh, my God, we've got to do something, she's still going to try and kill every Tarkinian. She's going to be like, after I stab this bitch in the back, then then I'm going to do something. (laughs) I mean, she even kind of said to Jamie, you know, uh, dragon queens, dead men, whatever, we'll, we'll deal with it. Yeah. You know, there was no like, oh, crap, maybe the are the dead men really real? Like, maybe we got to. No, no, she's no, she's delusional like that. So, yeah. no, that is absolutely not going to work. So it's so it's built on the premise that Cersei Lannister will talk. And or, then or that she's in any way a rational person. Well, correct. Yeah. And then so faulty premise number one. Right. And then you build on top of it a plan where you're going to sneak the hand of the king into King's Landing where everybody knows what he looks like and has a price. Now it's ex- with a zombie. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the first one, the meeting we had this, oh, this, okay. right? Right. Gotcha. Okay. It succeeded. It did. Imp- probably, but it succeeded, but it's still a stupid plan. Yes. I don't think we do not need to argue. We can move on from that. Ugh. It's a stupid plan. It's a stupid plan. Okay. So the next part is we go to, to Eastwatch, which we've kind of already covered. John's got his mismatched crew. He arrives at Eastwatch, talks with Tormund, finds out that the Hound, Barrack, and Thoros have all been captured. Why they would imprison them, I don't understand, but anyway. And then they decide that they're going to go out and march north Sans Cage <laughs> and go capture all white. Except we missed something. Okay. Because what we, we never talked about Gendry's oh. big hammer. Oh, I'm sorry. He's got a really big hammer. It's a nice hammer. Oh, you know, yeah, and I did have a question about Gendry, too. Yeah, you you had thoughts about Gendry. So, my first thought about Gendry is he looks like he might be the son of Mark Addy, who played Robert Baratheon, but he's not the son of Robert Baratheon, because he's a fucking hobbit. Right. In the books, he is described as being huge. Yeah. I mean, looking like his father. Yeah, Robert Baratheon in the books was like 6'5 and 240 pounds at the age of 20. Yeah. You know, so by the time Robert Baratheon is fat enough to need a breastplate stretcher, you know, he's he's pushing 340. Right. And then, you know, fucking Gendry rolls up looking like, you know, he looks like a damn pixie. He looks like an all state champion, 135 pound class wrestler. Right. You know, he he you know, he's fit and all that. but He's fucking shrimp. Right. He's a goddamn hobbit. Uh, Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And he he brings out his, you know, his 25-pound plastic-looking ball-peen warhammer, and he's ready to go to town. Now, he did he did bust the gold cloaks in right in the head. He I looked, mean... He looked like a badass doing it. Yeah. But my question is, is Gendry going to ultimately matter? So... Or was um, that just fan service? I don't know, because I, I really enjoy him coming back. I really enjoyed the interaction between him and Jon Snow. I'm looking forward to him... Uh, reuniting with Arya. I hope that happens. I hope we get to see that. Um, I think he's got an awesome Warhammer, so it can't hurt to have him around. Yeah, you know? my, my initial thought was that it's just fan service. But then the the other part I realized is that, you know, they had that scene with uh, him and John in 
the caves there at Dragonstone where they were mining all the dragon glass. Dragon glass is a component in Valerian steel. And Gendry is a blacksmith. Yes, indeed. And so it so gives, they're going to need some weapons made. Yeah. Now, the reality is, is that they have blacksmiths in Winterfell. And there's nothing that leads us to believe that Gendry somehow knows how to smith Valerian steel. But it gives us a smith that we have a name to. And he's a, an uber-talented smith. He is very talented. Yes, he is a very talented smith. Right. So... So I tend to think that that's that that he is going to stick around. Well, and I feel like the whole thing about my father and your father and blah, 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 when in actuality, we feel it's pretty certain to be revealed that um, Ned Stark is not Jon Snow's father. That's actually Rhaegar Targaryen. So in actuality, Gendry's father killed Jon's father, murdered Jon's father with a war hammer. (laughs) He killed him. Right in his beautiful breastplate. And rubies flew everywhere. Rubies flying everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Poor yeah. Rhaegar. We'll talk about that. I will, we'll talk about it. All right, so let's see. So we go north of the wall with the, um, with the crew, the band of misfits. So here's one of my questions. Where's the rest of the Brotherhood? I think they were hanged. I mean, so... I mean, it looks like they obviously dissolved. Yeah, cl- well... Or were hanged by their fellows for I think they were dissolved dicks. by casting budgets. Possibly. So the bro- Possibly. what's left of the Brotherhood is the Hound, Barrack, and Thoros of Mir. Yes. Why, like... All right, if I'm... If I'm um, Tormund, for, who for whatever reason is now running Eastwatch, whatever, and three people come to me and they say they want to go, f- go fight the Night's King... Why would you put them in cells? Like, what the fuck? Like, you need... Because there's some shady-ass motherfuckers. So I mean... is every motherfucker on the wall. <laughs> every motherfucker in a black cloak is a shady motherfucker. And the other half of them are wildlings, who are the most honorable motherfuckers on the wall right now. True. So so when Beric and Thoros and the Hound show up, you know, shouldn't it be... Uh, you know, yeah, here's the armory. Uh, like, like, because the timing was divine providence. Clearly. Obviously. That's, Clear. where, that's where it's going. So we it was ha- meant to happen this way. So we could have that awesome scene with Rory McCann saying, would you shut the fuck up? <laughs> I forget what he said, but it was beautiful. Right. Because it was the hound. Where's Ghost? We already talked about this. He went into the dragon budget. Don't you think he'd be useful? Eh. At look, least to drag the cage. Look. We had to have one or the other. We already talked about this. Well, we made the right decision then. I think so. Okay. All right. So now we get to our last and our shortest section, and that is Old Town. Yes. Okay. So there's really only two things that happen in Old Town. The first is that they get the raven from Bran and then proceed to basically laugh at it, which... Reminds me that maesters just don't understand. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> just like your parents, you go in school shopping. They want to get you this all this crazy stuff. Maesters just don't understand. They don't get it. And then we have the gilly bomb. Oh my gosh! All right. So, what do you feel about the gilly bomb? So, well, as you know, we were sitting here, 
and yelled and everyone we were watching with just went, ah! <laughs> we thought it was going to happen. It did not happen. It's a goddamn tease. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the Gilly bomb is obviously Gilly was reading what, you know, she thought was just a bit of nonsensical information writ- recorded by this maester who wrote down everything he did, his bowel movements, number of stairs, all this. You know, Sam's not listening to her. And, and then she- he slips into that seemingly pointless information. Exactly. She starts to talk about how, oh, and one time you performed an annulment for someone named Rhaegar. And yeah, Prince Ragar. Yeah. Prince Ragar, and then a, a secret yeah. marriage to... And Sam interrupts her. Why do these maesters and not understand? Thousands of people went, like, They want me to go to the first day of school looking like an idiot. <laughs> I mean, so... um so yeah, that was a frustrating moment. But, you know, it's it's confirmed some theories that we have, I think. And I think that it um w- we know that that information is out there and is forthcoming and at least someone on the show currently other than Bran, who God knows what he will choose to reveal, um someone knows it. Yeah, and it was we've speculated or Rather, there have been theories out there that Rhaegar and Lyanna were married, you know, at the Tower of Joy before um, before Lyanna died in childbirth. Yes. So there were there was speculation about that. I don't know that I don't know that there was a lot of speculation that the marriage to uh, Elia Martell was annulled. I don't think anybody. To my knowledge, maybe it was out there, but I don't think anybody speculated that. But um, so we had something that's potentially a book spoiler there in that moment where, you know, Gilly reads that the, that it was set aside. But it confirms for us what a lot of people have suspected, which is that John's not a bastard. Right. He is a legitimate uh, child and would be the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Indeed. So he and his claim would usurp or would um, surpass, rather, that of Daenerys by virtue of him having a penis. Indeed. Because in the Targaryen line, penises are very important. I think John's penis is important to Daenerys it, for it, different reasons. It may be. If you know what I mean. She's his aunt. <laughs> you know what? For Targaryens, that's not that bad. Yeah, fair point. I mean, all things considered. Well, we'll judge it by their own set I'm of morality. Them. You're Shush. not the only one. There's a lot of people shipping <laughs> because they're the two, arguably the two most beautiful people on the show. They're fairly beautiful. They're pretty beautiful people. So, all right. So then Sam just packs up and leaves, just grabs as many random ass scrolls and books as he can, packs up, takes a midnight train going anywhere. I'm seeing a pattern with Sam. Just grabbing shit in the middle of the night and booking out of there. Yeah. Like, fuck, don't ask him to stay over. Like, fuck this shit. I'm leaving. <laughs> Taking everything I can grab. You're going to be missing a cat and half and your Sam record goes collection. To Cracker Barrel, he like dumps all the sugar packets into his bag before he He's leaves. He's one of those people. He's one of those people. <laughs> He's got a fanny pack filled with ketchup and mustard packets. He takes the toilet paper home from his hotels. <laughs> <laughs> He's got 14 robes that don't fit him. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So, 
Oh my goodness. So is it, do you think it's going to matter or how do you think it plays out with John? Like, is it ultimately, to, to me, one of the questions I've always had about this whole thing is when you consider what's happened with Robert's Rebellion, when you consider what's happened with Daenerys, all the wars that have been fought, does the fact that he's actually the rightful quote-unquote king matter? I think why it's significant for the show, I don't think so. I think why it's significant for the show is that it's not even confirmed that he's a Targaryen. You know, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of hints that that's the direction they're going. But it hasn't been. I mean, it's still a big reveal left to happen on the show. It's a big. So all these things are kind of teasing that. So, no, I think ultimately the the crucial thing is that he is not the son of Ned Stark. Yeah, it's just I guess it's like, is it a reveal for the sake of a reveal or is it? It seems to me it's going to have to have story relevance because it just it doesn't seem right that it would be a reveal just for the sake of a reveal. So John not being Ned Stark's son wouldn't have story relevance? Well, I mean, from a plot standpoint. I, All right. Enlighten me. What am I missing? I, that's just like one of the biggest things. I mean. But, but I'm talking about what's happening now. <laughs> it's like his entire character is based on being Ned Stark's bastard. Like. Okay. I mean, yeah. From okay. <laughs> just think from that. a character standpoint, you're clearly one hundred percent correct. <laughs> I'm Him thinking being too a much Targaryen of, wouldn't like you know be a big deal. The king in the north is a Targaryen. All right, fine. It's a big deal. <laughs> fine, you got me. It's kind of a big deal. I guess I can see how that would play out in the plot now. Right. You know, all right. So my last question for you is: Okay, how much of a fuckboy is Rhaegar Targaryen? Shut your mouth! Shut your mouth! Rhaegar it, and Lyanna had a beautiful love. Is Rhaegar Targaryen the worst father in A Song of oh, Ice and Father? God. A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, Rhaegar is in my fictional harem. Okay, <laughs> so you just really need to tread lightly here. All right, how can you even defend Rhaegar Targaryen? He's forced into a loveless political marriage. He spends his whole life in the shadow of an insane father who lights people on fire. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he has a passionate elopement. What, I don't... You don't you don't see what the problem is? I think that's a beautiful story. So Rhaegar Targaryen is probably, what, 30? I, I have no idea. 25, 27, something like that. He is the son of an insane king. And he, at the, he, despite knowing the fact that his father is insane and highly, highly paranoid, all because he wants to get his dick wet, he decides to do something that will 100% destabilize the entire kingdom and cause every fucking conflict that we're looking at right now. If you want to know why they call it a song of ice and fire, it's not about John and Danny. It's about Rhaegar and Lyanna. And it's all about how those two knuckleheads' stupidity caused all of this shit to happen. 
That's what it's about. And Rhaegar Targaryen decides to set aside his wife. And now, through the process of annulment, so he's been with this woman for years. He's had two children with this woman. She's nearly died in both of the childbirths. And now he wants to annul the marriage, which I'm not, I don't know the, you know, I don't know the legality of it, but would potentially even cause his children to become illegitimate. And then, and then he wants to run off with a 15 year old girl, ooh, gross, and do it in a public way where he does it, you know, publicly at the, um, whatever that tournament is, and then runs off and leaves his fucking wife in King's Landing with the mad, his mad-ass king so his children can be killed? Stop, you're ruining it. He creates this fucking horrible situation, and all the wars that have come after it are all still ultimately related back to unresolved issues, all because he is a megalomaniac who thinks that there's some great prophecy out there that is going to come true if he can just get his rocks off one more time. Wait, remind me of that prophecy. What's the deal with that? So the dragon must have three heads. Remember in the House of the Undying, she sees Rhaegar. The dragon must have three heads. The idea was that he he thought that the prince who was promised was going to come through his line, and it would have to and it would be one of his children would be the prince that was promised. But he had to have three children for that to happen. Now, as it turns out, that may or may not actually be true. Doesn't make him any less of a fuckboy, however. Um, but I think it would be hilarious if John is not at all the prince who was promised, <laughs> which would you know really make Rhaegar even more of a dick. Um, but yeah, so that's why he, it was because of that prophecy. And this is some, I guess some begrudging, um, I, I guess I'll cut him a little bit of slack for this. He believed in this prophecy that the prince who was promised was going to come from him and he had to have three children and Ely was not able to bear him a third child. Now there is some people who are out there who say that he did not, um, he did not just up and divorce his wife that, you know, he and Elia talked about this and he was like, this is the prophecy. I've got to have a third child, but it, you wouldn't survive it. This is what's going to happen instead. So there's some speculation that Elia may have very well been aware of all this and it may, you know. Right. And you know, one, one thing that I found interesting is that every time, like, their children in the book are consistently referred to as Elia's children. Elia's mm. children were murdered, you know? Mm, and yeah. it gives me this feeling like they were her children, like they weren't, it, it wasn't really a relationship between the two of them. It mm. was more of like a political alliance and that he wasn't like in their lives in a traditional family way. I, yeah, I, under, I understand. Yeah, I it doesn't make what he did any more morally right, but it does make it more like uh, sympathetic in my yeah, opinion. I, I mean, ultimately there's a lot of stuff that happened that we still don't really know about. You know, there's speculation that Rhaegar was attempting to, you know, to try to find a way to destabilize his father, you know, and so people have speculated that by, annulling the marriage he robbed him of uh essentially all of his heirs well and you know 
So for me in the books, Rhaegar is described over and over as the best of the Targaryens, kind of the penultimate. He was like the best of all of the good qualities of the Targaryens were Mm -hmm. seen in Rhaegar. You know, all I'm saying is he had a thin mustache and he wrote shitty poetry. No, (laughs) Chad, you don't even know what a fuck boy is. No, you're right. I don't. (laughs) But. That's a good thing. Yeah, you're right. I we don't, need to I don't start know. being able to recognize them, though, sometime res- in the next four to five years. You can't recognize them by their wispy, mustache, mis- no. wispy mustaches and their tight jeans? I mean, Sadly, no. No. Hmm. We'll work on this later outside of the podcast. Okay. But, um, no, I mean, for, so for me in the books, Rhaegar is always described as being all the good qualities of the Targaryens kind of encompassed in him. And I, from in my opinion, all that stuff, the destabilization of the realm, that was going to happen because of the Mad King anyway. And Rhaegar is trying to also build an alliance with the Stronghouse. Obviously, he went about it in a shitty way. Yeah. You know, on the other the hand... The shittiest of ways. You've got Robert, the ultimate creeper, who's oh, yeah. been obsessed with Lyanna forever. She has no interest in him. Mm-hmm who like in my mind is like the douchebag of of this situation oh he's a total palooka you know absolutely a palooka he's not a mook he is a palooka i think technically he'd be more of a mook than a palooka no you don't know what a mook is either you don't know what a palooka is you're right i don't (laughs) i don't we stick to our specialty (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no i i agree with you that robert tigarian um baratheon. Uh, sorry, robert baratheon I, in my mind he's the big ding dong in this whole thing oh he well he absolutely bears a huge amount of responsibility you know like we you know this was this was the war for liana's cunt I it mean, was it really was it was you know and it was two two men you know deciding what she could or couldn't do mm-hmm. you know that caused all this bullshit to happen so I don't think any of the things I've said about Rhaegar take no responsibility away from Robert Baratheon. Robert Baratheon was a scumbag creeper. Like, there's there's no question about it. You know? and, and I think that if he hadn't reacted so violently, eventually Rhaegar and Lyanna could have had their child. She could have moved into the palace. Like, it could have caused a whole new well shifting and, of power, you know? Yeah, and we don't. We don't know also how what happened with the Starks changed how that all played out because, right. I, I, and I don't have like the timing of it all in my head perfectly, but the fact that um, the fact that Ned's father and brother got you know brought down to King's Landing really didn't give Rhaegar a lot of time to you know ask for her hand in marriage <laughs> like you right. know like a kind of upset Wait, don't burn him alive yet i got to ask I gotta, him something yeah, right you know so i'm not i'm not certain of the timing of how that all played out but it certainly didn't help um, one of the things that's always bothered me so we start off the story with the idea that Rhaegar raped and abducted Lyanna and then the evidence seems to support the idea that that's not what actually happened but where i don't see in the timeline is where Liana and Rhaegar had time to like build this courtship. Like it seems like they met like once or twice and then they decided to run off together. And then as a result, cause these horrific wars. 
I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm just not seeing that's what I'm not seeing in the evidence where they had to spend a lot of time together. Like, I mean, she was pregnant and having a kid like right away, you know, like maybe there's just part of the timeline that I'm missing. I don't know. Well, I mean, the way I understood it is they kind of had a fling. Maybe she got pregnant and then that's when he, you know, took her off to the Tower of Joy to do the right thing by her. You know, mm. um, and and then they spent that time together there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. He he gave he gave the crown of love and beauty to Lyanna Stark instead of Elia of Dorne in front of the whole realm, and there didn't seem to be a whole lot of forethought going into it, other than the prince who was promised is going to come from my line. And, uh, you know, whatever, I'm going to run off. I'm a prince. I can do whatever I want to. Because I, 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 we just don't know the story there. True. No, that's true. There's a lot of missing. There's a lot I, of missing. I mean, that's, that's the story that's been told through from the Starks, you know. Well, and we all know that the Starks are right about everything. They're not. Except for having any sort of political savvy. But other than that, they're right about everything. So, yeah, I mean, I still, yeah, I think, I think Rhaegar deserves the benefit of the doubt. So does he still have a spot in your harem? Yes, he does. Well, all right then. (laughs) I'd like to see this harem. (laughs) Line them up. It's a fictional harem, sweetie. I want to inspect them. You're still the chief husband. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Always. All right. Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> Which are we ending there? Yeah. <laughs> my d- fictional just, harem. Just ran out of steam. <laughs> like, there's no... <laughs> just... <laughs> I'm spent. <laughs> I love you. Like a mayfly that just fucked for the first and last time. I am alighting upon the water to be eaten by a trout. (laughs) I don't know what that has to do with anything, (laughs) but it's late and I'm tired. Oh, my God. We need to stop talking now. Oh, my goodness. Where can they find us? Um, Somebody. I'm really not even doing it on purpose. It's it's like, (laughs) I'm really not. It's a mental block. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody got on us because we didn't do that the last couple times. Oh. They were like, I miss it. Well, there you go. I <laughs> They can find us at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. Also on Twitter at the DND Podcast. And I need to explain this because I had somebody email me and say they weren't they were looking for the Twitter and they couldn't find it. It's not the D and D or the D and for Sandy. It's T H E. D is in Dave, N is in Nancy, D is in Dave podcast. So some people got confused about that. So I just feel like I need to make it super, super, super clear. Yeah, because there's a lot of D and D and yeah, and there's a lot of a lot room of for with D and D in them. There's a lot of room for error in there. Absolutely. So the D and D podcast. We will talk about D and D at some point. Absolutely, we will. We keep saying that, and we're going to do it. We keep saying it. And on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. So that's yes. how you can get in touch with us. And if you like what we have to say or you or you don't, 
leave us a review on iTunes. But really, the number one thing is tell somebody. Share our links on social media. We put up the SoundCloud teasers. I enjoy the, doing those little teasers. I don't know if anybody listens to them, but where we do the little like 30-second snippets of something that happened in the podcast, those are things you could share, retweet, easy little ways of kind of letting somebody know what we're about. But tell somebody. Pimp us out, yo. <laughs> that was half-hearted. I'm sorry. I'm not paying attention anymore. <laughs> You've already checked out. We're done. You damn short timers. I'm a timers. mayfly too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to mayfly. We're going to, like Jamie and Braun, we're going to float our asses down the river and pop up somewhere else. Oh, man, the eye rolls. It's time to cut cut the strings. <laughs> Let's just end this shit now. Good night. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.